The National Institutes of Health recently kicked off enrollment for the All of Us Research Program, a key element of the Precision Medicine Initiative that aims to advance medical research and individualized health care treatments. The All of Us Project hopes to attract about 1 million volunteers in the U.S. who will share their electronic health record data and other sensitive health data, such as genomic information, about themselves with medical researchers. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorney Kirk Nara of the law firm Wiley Rhine. So now the All of Us project has been in the making for a few years now, and it's finally rolling out. NIH has a framework for security principles and a framework for privacy slash trust principles for participants. For instance, NIH says data elements will be transferred through encrypted channels for storage and for creating a data set that's accessible to researchers. They say the data will be stored on a secured cloud computing environment. The All of Us project will also remove explicit personal identifiers such as people's names, addresses, phone numbers, social security numbers, so on and so forth. With that said, what do you see as some of the top potential privacy and security risks for this project, both for patients and the healthcare entities that might be participating? Tons of issues coming up with this project, both specific to the project and as part of a sort of broader evaluation of privacy and security for the healthcare system and in particular for healthcare research. And what you see here is you've got a couple of sort of big picture tension points. You've got a whole enormous government funded research project which is designed to deal with personalized healthcare treatment and as soon as you're talking about personalized healthcare treatment, you're raising more and more privacy issues. And at the same time, you are dealing with the broader societal interest in having this kind of research. I mean, obviously, a goal is to build a particular treatment that will fit your situation. But in order to do that, we've got to do this broader kind of research. So that's just one of the tension areas. You also start to throw in genomic and genetic information, Lots of challenges associated with that that we're really just starting to grapple with. I think that what they've done with this program is really try to build what I've called previously a a utopian set of privacy and security controls. I mean, it's a very thoughtful, very aggressive privacy program, and that's great. And it's designed to get all these people involved in the project. It's designed to have patients actually be more involved in what's going on with the research. I hope it'll work. I expect it'll work in this context. It's just going to be interesting to see sort of how that relates to the rest of the universe on healthcare research where we don't really have the same kinds of time and attention and resources and, and public visibility being, being devoted to these efforts. So now, as you mentioned, the project is encouraging patients to be involved, saying that patients will be able to access their information. You'll have you know, researchers that have, are vetted, of course, participating in this. But with so many 
people potentially having access to this information, what sorts of red flags could there be in terms of things that people should not only be aware of, but perhaps should be able to do to protect their own information? You know, whether is phishing, for instance, a possibility for this? You know, what sorts of risks do you think that individuals and entities need to be wary of? I think there's sort of two ways to think about that. I mean, the way to make sure that your data is not at risk of a security breach for this project is frankly not to participate in the project. And that may be just like anything else in the healthcare system or even beyond the healthcare system. As soon as you place your information in any kind of a setting, there is a risk of all those kinds of things that you're mentioning and you know the full range of security risks. What they've tried to do with this system is build a better mousetrap. And certainly everybody who's involved in security, involved in security policy, recognizes that while there's no perfect standard for security and no way to reduce realistic risk to zero, what we can do is reduce that risk to pretty small levels. And these kinds of standards that they've built here are very strict standards designed to know, provide very strong protection. Does that mean there aren't any risks? Of course not. And again, I don't know that there's any way to make the risks zero other than not contributing your information. And part of the government's challenge here is to promote the benefits, but both the benefits of this project and how they're managing the risks to give individuals a comfort level with what's going on here. And again, if your risk tolerance as an individual is zero, you shouldn't be participating. If your risk tolerance is sort of normal levels in the same way that you do anytime you do anything on the internet or any of these activities, they've built a really strong system here. So they're building the general rules you know, entities that are participating are going to need to follow those rules. They're going to need to make sure their structures are consistent. There's always a risk, but instead, those steps that are designed to remove identifiers and things like that will make it harder to identify people, even if there is a security breach of some kind. So again, they're trying to build a good system. They've done all the right things. It's a stricter system than you're going to see in most other settings. That should be, you know, again, good enough to get most people who are interested to participate. But at the same time, it also exposes, particularly when you talk about patient access and patient involvement, it exposes some of the tensions between different goals. It's not that they're entirely in conflict, but the more you make information available to individuals, the harder it is to plug some of these holes. And so that's going to be part of the ongoing challenge here. And now this project will also involve genomic information, and I think sometimes for people, when they hear that, it sounds interesting, but then people kind of worry, well, okay, once new discoveries are made about, you know, what might cause an illness, what will they know about me that I'm afraid will get out elsewhere? Are there rules involved with this so that, for instance, you know, insurance companies would never be able to get a hold of information that might, you know, indicate that an individual has something that could potentially result in, you know, an illness later on? What, What sorts of protections are built into this? There's certainly no intention of making data available for those kinds of purposes. And there are, you know, some existing laws like the GINA law and even how the HIPAA rules deal with genetic information that are designed to prevent some of those risks. 
you know, that's not in any way a purpose here, and they've built a system to limit involvement and access this data to researchers that are going to jump through the right kinds of, of hoops to do appropriate research. Now, but that's also part of how individuals need to think about this in terms of their own risk management and their own risk evaluation. You know, at the same time, one of the big challenges with genetic information in particular is that we usually rely on the individual to agree or not agree to participate in some of these things. I mean, you're, you know, you're going to be asked whether you want to participate in this kind of study. One of the challenges with genetic information is that when you agree to participate, not only are you contributing your information, but particularly when we're dealing with genetic information, you're contributing information about your parents, your children, your siblings, you know, others in your family, etc. And we haven't really built a good system to address those kinds of issues, at least in full at this point. So, Kirk, with that said, any particular advice you have or things that you think patients should think about before they decide to participate in this? And then also, same thing for the healthcare entities, if they yeah. want to get involved with this. I think for the from the patient perspective, it's really a question of you know, what your tolerance level is. This is a massive research project that presents at least real possibilities of significant improvements to the overall healthcare system, overall public health. Does that mean that you specifically are going to have a specific identifiable benefit two years from now? We don't really have any idea about that. And so there's a little bit of the public interest in choosing to participate in that. And so I think there is a sense in the medical research community that lots of individuals have just enough of that public interest mindset that they're willing to participate in this kind of project as long as these controls have been built and put into place. And again, they're very good controls. They're just not they're not perfection controls. And so as long as you're willing to take that little bit of hurdle or overcome that little bit of a hurdle, I think that's something that people can participate in if they want to help, you know, with these broader public goals. I think for, you know, research entities and others, this is the same kind of risk that you face in every other setting where you're dealing with individual health information. There may be more challenges because of the extra security controls. It may be slightly easier to protect the information because it's not as obviously identifiable as lots of other records that hospitals have or that other healthcare providers have. So again, go into this with a with an open mind and go into this understanding that it's going to take some work, but I would think that there the, you know again the upside for a healthcare researcher or a healthcare entity are going to in almost all situations significantly outweigh the the new risks. And one last question, the NIH is running the program, and as we know, there have been other large government breaches like OPM. Anything to say about this? Is, are you, do you feel confident that, you know, when it comes to what the government needs to do, that they're taking this in the right direction? You know, this is sort of parallel to what you see with the rest of the government in the sense that they are building a structure to deal with this program. When you have you know, the OPM breach or, you know, various other things. You're, you, you've got these existing government bureaucracies that were built with other issues in mind and have had a, a sort of had security superimposed on top of a outdated and overwhelmed system. So, you know, the government has gone into this with a very significant focus on privacy and security. 
A, because they know that they can't afford to have big problems, and B, they know that in order to get patients and others to participate, they need to have a good program. That's one reason it's taken so long to sort of get this thing off the ground. But I don't think you look at this and say, oh, well, the government has, in other kinds of bureaucracies, has security problems. I wouldn't necessarily look at it, at that and say that's going to happen here. This is a focus on a program that was built from the ground up with strong privacy and security protections. Thanks, Kirk. I've been speaking to Kirk Nara. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.